Welcome to the Student Ministry Podcast by Lifeway. We're really glad that you are here listening to this podcast in particular. Uh, We've got some exciting stuff for you ahead on it. But before we get there, this is your quick reminder to leave that rating and review. Uh, You hear it every time. And some of you might hit like the skip 30 seconds button on your podcast listening. But if you'd leave that rating and review, then that would be super helpful. All right. We love to read them because it helps us get better and it helps us shape the podcast to something that you enjoy. We're here to serve you with this, not just talk out into the open air. So leave the rating review. It helps us. It helps other people find the podcast as they search for student ministry stuff. So thank you for doing that. I'm your host, Ben Trueblood, and I am sitting here with producer Nathan. What's up? How's it going? Good, man. Uh, We are inching closer to F1 season. We are. Kicking off. How excited are you? I'm super excited. It's going to be a fantastic season. New new cars, new technical regulations, so they look a little different. As we speak, they're on the track in Barcelona. Uh, they just don't televise it, so we get the Instagram feed later. Yes, I saw I saw the Instagram clip of Ricardo going out there in in the car, yeah, and in, in the new McLaren car. New so McLaren. I, I'm excited about it, Chris. Well, I'll read your uh, bio stuff in just a minute, but are are you an F1 racing person? You pay attention to that? No, I'm I'm not, but I'm not like I'm not like uh, I don't know, like a hater. Um, I've yeah. just never really gotten into it. Uh, I, I have to ask, did you guys get into it because of the series on Netflix? I did, yes. Nathan? I, yeah, I would say mostly that, but a couple of my buddies were into it, and then they really pushed me to watch the Netflix series. That's really what kind of did it for me. So, so I really series. I really want to watch I really want to watch the Netflix series. I haven't yet. I think there are two seasons now, maybe, or something. Um, at three. Three seasons. Three. I, so I haven't watched it. and it, But I think I'd be interested because... I, I think I think it'd be something that would be interesting to me if you can watch it on TV because I know often it's pretty international, so I don't know how easy, easy it is to watch. But given given now, I know Ben and I are big baseball fans, despite yeah. liking the teams that generally hate each other. That's right. And I, I've been I've been starting to wonder in my mind if there's no baseball for the foreseeable future, which is my fear. What am I going to be into this spring? Because I can't just wait for football yeah. season again. Like, am yeah. I going to try college basketball some more? Am I going to try college baseball? Like, what am I got to figure out something because I can't just not watch any sports for like six months. So we're going to have to figure out. So maybe maybe F one's the thing. I don't know. Man, I would. Uh, so I watched the show on Netflix because of Nathan, and I find like I jumped in and watched last season before and going into this this latest f1 and then now i i watched most of this recent f1 season and i'm excited to watch the netflix show now after because you get kind of a okay let's go back and see what we missed but man for somebody like you the newest season comes out march 11th i think uh and you can it's drive to survive and It's really fascinating because it goes so deep into the personalities of the drivers and all of the stuff that you don't see happen on TV. It they show every race on TV. the The trick is, it's just at like seven a.m. Sunday morning because the races are in like Dubai and stuff. So yeah, yeah, you gotta you gotta set that DVR. But anyway. Chris is our guest today. Um, as you may have guessed, because just a second ago, 
I said Chris. Well, Chris Martin is the content marketing editor at Moody Publishers. He's the editor of BibleToLife.com and a social media marketing and communications consultant. He writes regularly in his newsletter, Terms of Service, and is the author of his new book by the same name, Terms of Service, by B&H Publishing. You can find him on social media at Chris Martin. 17. So uh, today we are going to be talking about social media um, and his new book, like I mentioned, Terms of Service. The subtitle, I think, is so catching, The Real Cost of Social Media. So you as a student pastor know that social media is having a profound impact on everything around us. It's impacting relationships. It's impacting people's worldviews. It's impacting probably the way that you do ministry to some extent, and it's impacting your students' Uh, and the mental health aspect is a whole other thing. Well, Chris has written this book called Terms of Service, The Real Cost of Social Media. So, Chris, I'd love for you just to kick us off here and just give an overall elevator pitch about the book and what you hope to accomplish and help people see and understand uh, about the book and why you decided to write it. Yeah, the the temptation when you write about social media is that people tend to think you're writing in wholehearted endorsement of it and talking about how awesome it is, or they think you just think it's terrible and not worth using and everybody should delete their accounts. People tend to, in the conversations I've had, tend to think I'm going to be one or the other of those things. Mm. And naturally, if they've read any of my writing online or any of the outlets I've written at, or if they come across the book and especially the cover, which is beautifully designed by Susan Brown, a colleague of your guys' at Lifeway, I believe, um, they see it's kind of a negative vibe. And and I write pretty frequently about the the problems and concerns that we should have with our relationship with social media. Um, But the book is not a a manifesto about why social media is all terrible all the time. Um, I think we're all pretty aware of the good that comes from social media because any of us who have ever used it have experienced the good. That's why we use it. We connect with friends or family that live far away or from people, you know, people who we know from past lives in, in uh, high school or college or whatever else we connect with people across similar interests, uh, sports or, or video games or ministry or, or whatever else. Um, we learn things from people who are a lot smarter than us who write articles or run podcasts or things like that. So we're all pretty aware of the good things that social media can provide. And I think frankly, a book on that subject wouldn't be very interesting because who needs to know who needs to be told the good things. But I think, I think a lot of us are, are maybe embracing social media too strongly and too quickly Mm. without considering some of the downsides. And that's, what the whole purpose of the book is. I first, I've worked in social media for a long time. When we were colleagues at Lifeway a few years ago, I spent, I mean, I spent all seven years at Lifeway in a number of social media roles. My final one being running, kind of being head of social media or whatever. And, and throughout my time thinking of strategy and how do we get content in front of people's eyeballs and how do we get people to engage with that content? I started to ask deeper questions, like philosophical questions, like what is this doing to us? It was around 2017 or so. I first came across the book Neil uh, Neil Postman wrote called "Amusing Ourselves to Death," which was written in 1985, mm-hmm. uh, and is fr- is is primarily about the way television is shaping our affections and making entertainment the center of everything. Um, and so he it was 1985. Obviously, television's in its heyday at that point, and um, it kind of its second heyday. Its first heyday was earlier than that. Um, and he he just writes about how 
the medium of television has changed everything. He has a whole chapter on like televangelism. He Neil Postman is not a Christian, but he's sympathetic to Christians and and the worldview uh, being a secular Jewish man himself. And so he like, he has a whole chapter on how he's like, I take it that Christianity is a pretty serious religion. And I'm not sure you would want a, a religion like Christianity to be mediated by such a secular medium like television that's focused mm-hmm. on entertainment. He writes, he has a whole chapter on how we consume the news and how news has become more about entertainment than actually delivering information. And so I read that book in 2017, a solid like 30 years after it came out. And I was like, oh man, this book is more relevant in 2017 than it probably was in even 1985. Um, even though Postman never talks about social media at all. Uh, and in fact, he died in 2003. And there's a few recorded like lectures and talks he gave about social media, but he, he, he died a little too early for us to get a robust view of social media from, uh, from him. So when I read that book, I was like, you know, I, I wish there were people who thought like Neil Postman today, but were also Christians, like wrote from a Christian Mm. perspective. And I had trouble finding people at the time. I've since found a number of people who do write in that vein. But at the time in in 2017, 2018, I was like, well, I can't find anybody who writes like that. Maybe I'll try to write like that because I would benefit from the research and thought that goes into writing like that. And I think other people might benefit from that, too. And so I just kind of set out to do my best Christian 21st century Neil Postman impression, though he's far smarter than I claim no, uh, no parallel in, in uh, intelligence, but in, in sort of like in style and in, in concern. And so the book is really not about, hey, social media is terrible and you should never use it. I still use it and, and I think it's good. It can be good. But I think it, the book is more about, hey, I think we've maybe embraced these, these platforms and these forms of communication too uncritically. And we should ask some hard questions about our relationship with the social internet and social media specifically, and try to figure out if there are some areas of unhealth that we should step away from or remedy and try to enter into just a more healthy relationship with these platforms. Yeah. So as a student pastor audience um, who engages with with social media and who is attempting to pastor Students who are being impacted by social media, the majority of them every single day, what are some just major and we're going to dive into a couple sections and and things in the book a little bit more closely. But what would you say to student pastors as a like, hey, check out this book because this is going to help you here as you attempt to pastor a group of people being shaped by social media? Yeah, um, I think. There are a lot of things about our relationship with social media that we can kind of feel um, both ourselves or among the people to whom we among whom we minister. Like I I'm not a student minister anymore. I was for a few years, but I still lead in the student ministry at my church. So I'm among students every uh, every week and and discipling some individually and and there every Wednesday night for youth group and all of that. Um, And so I think when you spend time with students or anyone among whom you're ministering, you can kind of feel like, Hey, like I'm seeing them on their phones a lot more than I did when I was ministering five years ago, or they seem to be really anxious or I see them taking selfies or there there are things there are like vibes you can feel, but it's really hard to put a point on it a lot of times, or it's really hard. Like you may not know if there's actually research being done on how screen time and anxiety rates are related. Um, and, and so what I would say is, the book and what I've heard, you know, the book's been out for about a month as we're recording almost a month. And 
what I've heard from people who have read it, uh, student ministers or otherwise, is that it's kind of put words and reality to what a lot of us feel about our relationship with social media and the relationship with social media of those among whom we're ministering. So if you mm-hmm. might, you might be ministering to students, student pastor who's listening or, or even volunteer listening, and you might, you might feel like, man, I feel like social media uses up, or I feel like it's changing how my students think about themselves and their identity, or it's changing how they think about, you know, uh, what attention means and whether or not it's worthwhile, or it's changing how they have conflict with one another. Um, it's, you know, it's changing how they work out conflict or you might have these feelings, but not really know if that's just you or if that's real. Um, and what I think terms of service, the book can do is kind of help you realize, oh, okay, it's not just me who feels this among my students. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not just this like anecdotal experience that I have. It's actually pretty commonly known that screen time use and and anxiety rates are related to one another. Or, you know, it's 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 known that high schoolers are more anxious today because they're having to perform all the time via social media and not just be able to perform at school and go home and not have to perform anymore like they did in, you know, like the 80s or the 90s, you know, yeah. as recently as then. So I think what the book will do because I've heard this from a few people already is just kind of put words to things that you might feel or, or observe in your own student ministry experience and help you realize that you're not alone in that. And that's actually, it's not comforting and like, you know, it's not comforting in one sense because you're like, Oh man, this is a lot more widespread, but it is comforting in one sense in that, you know, okay, this is, this is the new normal. And now we can figure out how to navigate this. This isn't just an us problem. Yeah, man. I want to draw attention. Uh, I think the the way that you have titled your chapters is really compelling, uh, particularly in the second section. Now, student pastors, y- y- I want to read these to you. Like this is parent meeting gold right here. So if you are looking to point parents to a resource, if you're looking to create a meeting for parents where you can stand up and walk them through some content, get Chris's book and, and make this part of your, part of your deal. So the second, the second part of the book, and I'm just going to read the the chapter heading straight out of it. Uh, we believe attention assigns value. This is the way social internet shapes us. So we believe attention assigns value. We trade privacy for expression. We pursue affirmation instead of truth. We demonize people we like, and we destroy people we demonize. Now, if it doesn't take much engagement to see all of these things taking place, particularly in a group of teenagers whose worldview and social view is being shaped by all of these things. I mean, the ones that stand out to me are attention assigning value and demonizing people we dislike, although pursuing affirmation instead of truth is is right up there, too. So taking those specifically uh, this middle section of your book that really does show how we're being shaped by it. What advice would you give to student pastors in terms of, you know, as a former student pastor yourself and somebody who is actively discipling teenagers, how do we, how do we combat this? How do we say, okay, the culture through social media is, giving the message of pursuing affirmation instead of truth and all of these other things. How do we, how do we approach that? How do we tackle it? 
yeah, it's uh it's not easy and I um I don't envy the student pastors who have to do this every day. Um because and the parents, frankly, like I'm a parent of an almost 2-year-old. Um but I I'm grateful I'm not a parent of a teenager right now because in in my student ministry work I've had conversations with a lot of parents of teenagers who who don't know how to handle this. And frankly, I don't know, like I studied this, I wrote a book on this stuff and I don't know the best answer to give them on how to handle yeah. it, you know, um, I don't, because there's not a right answer. And that's part of what makes this so di- like total extrication of social media from a teenager's life is not the right answer because that can lead to some serious social ostracization. Like you can be, you can become a social pariah if you don't use social media at all. And that's a real problem. Like social media is bad, but the effects of never using social media are also bad in, in a lot of ways. Like I've seen that hurt a lot of students who, who have trouble building a social life at school because they're not allowed to use any form of social media at all. So like, totally not using it at all isn't a great answer, but then also just jumping in whole hog and not monitoring it all is also not a right answer. And so obviously some of the most important and difficult areas of life, whether in ministry or parenting or otherwise are the ones that are incredibly gray. Um, I think every time I, I think of high school. So have you guys ever seen the movie eighth grade by Bo Burnham? Like he directed it. I haven't. Okay. It's kind of like an indie film. Bo Burnham is a comedian. Uh, he's most famous for like his stand-up comedy stuff, which I can't officially recommend because it can be pretty raunchy, but it's really like he's a great cultural commentator, even among his vulgarity. Okay. He has a he has a real finger on the pulse of what life is like right now, especially for young people. And in his he he released a comedy special. It's called a comedy special on Netflix in twenty twenty one. Um but it, it really is more of a cultural commentary, I guess, because it is funny, but it's also kind of sobering and, and reflective throughout a lot of it. And in it, he says the non he, he's kind of lamenting the idea that um, our online lives have become pri- our primary form of existence for a lot of us. And our offline lives have just kind of before become a place to like farm content for, for our online lives. Like people go on vacations for the content or they design their weddings around getting the content. Teenagers do this all the time. Um, and, and you know, they'll, they'll act a certain way for the content. We see this in, in like creators that, that our teenagers idolize all like they design their entire lives around creating content. And so he, he says in his comedy special inside the non-digital world is merely a theatrical space in which one stages and records content for the much more real, much more vital digital space. Hmm. And he, he once said in an interview when he was talking about his movie eighth grade, which came out a few years ago, I also recommend watching that like for student pastors, especially it came out a few years ago, but I think it still accurately depicts the eighth grade experience today and, and the online nature of it. He cast all eighth graders as eighth graders. So you don't have like 18 year olds playing eighth graders. Right. Like they're actually eighth graders. And what's really ironic about the movie is it is rated R because there are some really mature themes in it. And I think it's I just think it's always ironic about that movie is like an eighth grader does can't actually go see the movie eighth grade. Uh, <laughs> but but the movie accurately depicts what it's like to be an eighth grader. So like how funny yeah. is it that like that the eighth grade experiences today are quite rated R. Um, but but anyway, he says in an interview around that the release of that movie a few years ago, and this is relevant for student pastors, I think he says 
what is the feeling of walking through your life and not just living your life, not just living your life, which is already difficult and impossible, but also taking inventory of your life, being a viewer of your own life, living an experience, and at that same time, hovering behind yourself and watching yourself live that experience. You're being nostalgic for moments that haven't happened yet, planning your future to look back on it. And I think if you run just a really good picture of what it's like to be a teenager today and trying to be like a content creator while also figure out who you are, Hmm. being nostalgic for moments that haven't happened yet and building your life around creating online content. I mean, there's when you start to realize that this is really what life is like for a lot of our teenagers, you you start to not have to wonder at all how anxiety rates are through the roof among young people today. Um, so anyway, that, that's just a few thoughts. And I think, you know, there, there's a lot more we could talk about there, but those are the things that I've seen among students and that I've heard from parents is this sort of like online life has become primary and offline life has become secondary. And there are just so many problems that flow out of that kind of core problem. Yeah, man. Yeah. As I have two teenagers in my home, uh, and they so far, they have not even asked for social media. They have, and they, and I know their friends have it, but it's something that they haven't, they haven't asked for just the other day. The first, well, I guess I would put this in the category of social media. Kind of it's different. My daughter asked for if she could have Pinterest because she's, you know, looking at hairstyles and pictures of dogs and whatever. So that was the first time that either one of them has had asked for some kind of social media. And so we stepped into that world a little bit with her and said, yes. And you know, all those things. Uh, so as, as a student ministry person, man, this is so, it's so relevant. We need to be talking about social media in student ministry. And I think the, the thing that I appreciate about your approach in talking about it from a Christian perspective is this is not a, Hey, you can get hooked on porn. If you have social media, that's true. That can lead to that. But it's, it's not that it's not. If you have social media, then these are all of the dangers. You know, if we go back and like, let's, let's parallel this with uh, early, sex and purity things, right? It's avoid sex because you could get all of these diseases. Well, yeah, I mean, that's true. Like live a life of abstinence because of the hurt and the pain, both physically and and whatever, like all of those things are true. But what I'm thankful for as things have progressed is now it's like, so let's point to something better. Let's live according to what God says, because Jesus because we're following Jesus, because he is the one whom our eyes are set on. Like, let's fix a student's eyes on Jesus, help them become more like him through his word. And then that naturally impacts the decisions they make with their bodies from a sexual standpoint. So if we parallel that with social media, your book is not here are the STDs of social media, so to speak. It does give a Christian perspective on all of these things. And here's, Here's what happens when we demonize people we dislike. And here's the truth. Here's God's truth behind why that's dangerous for us and why there's a better why there's a better way. And so when I say student pastors, when I say we need to be talking about this in our ministries, 
I don't mean your anxiety is going to be increased if you have social media. Like, let's help them build an actual Christian godly framework for social media because it is a space, I think, it is a space where gospel language needs to go forth, where gospel witness needs to be present. And so I appreciate the things, the way that you approach this. And student pastors, I would love to, to challenge and encourage you that are already doing this to continue to head down that road of tackling issues that teenagers are dealing with, but not just from a no standpoint, but from a helpful guiding standpoint that you help them build a framework to think about the world with God's word. And that's what you're going to find. Chris, you've done a great job in that and helping people think about those things. Um, it's not going away. It is a place where I think gospel witness needs to be taking place as, as a student pastor. I see that as a parent, man, I'm still kind of glad that my son hasn't said, Hey, can I have an Instagram account? <laughs> so you, yeah. one of the things, Chris, that you talk about, um, is how social media was originally marketed and still is in many ways as something that would serve us, but it has switched. And now we are really servants of the social internet. I mean, this is where I would love to make a matrix illustration, but half the people that listen to this probably only know the most recent matrix movie. And so that would fall flat on its face, but prophetic word, the matrix ended up being right. For sure. Yes, for sure. Gosh, was that oh one that movie came out or something like that? <laughs> I think I was like barely enough to be watching that when I was watching it. Uh, yeah. yeah, like it's it's um, I love what you said about about it's not about the social media STDs, if you will. Like, yeah, because that's the whole point. Like we've heard like there are you could go read anybody talk about how engaging with content on social media can be bad for you. Like, don't watch this, watch this, you know, don't go here. Don't, don't watch this YouTuber because they do, they'll radicalize you in some way. Watch this, or don't check out these sensuous photos on Instagram. Go do this instead. And that's all good. Like that's like, that's good advice, um, yes. but it's just so surface level. Um, and like, I, I make a distinction in the book, though. I also use the terms interchangeably. I make a distinction in the book between social internet and social media. And that's intentional. And I'd like to speak to that in a second, if I can, mm, because yeah. I really, part of the book is to broaden our understanding of, of our relationship with this. So if I said the word social media or the term, it's two words. If I said the term social media instantly, like some logos, some apps fly into your head. Like you think Facebook, you think Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever else. Um, and immediately we tend to think of the content on these platforms. Watch this. Don't watch this. Don't follow this person, whatever else. Um, right. But I really want our relationship and our understanding of social media and the social Internet to be broader. And this kind of also comes from Postman, again, even though he never talked about these platforms so explicitly. But he talked about the difference between a technology and a medium. And I think those are that's mm. an important distinction. A technology <clears throat> and really using the TV is the best way to talk about it. A, techno a technology is like the actual ones and zeros or the code or the wiring, the electronics. Um, it's the piece of technology. It's the tool. So that'd be like the television or in our case, modern days, even that's the Internet, like the actual cables that run at the bottom of the ocean and the servers that our content lives on and all of that. Like that's the technology. A medium 
is the way you use technology to create culture. So mm. a medium would be like the sitcom on your television or the news program on your television or the sports uh, program on your television. On the internet, the media is the funny cat videos, that sensuous Instagram photo or uh, the YouTuber you really like to watch, that Twitch streamer you really like to watch or whatever else. Um, that's the media. So social media accurately is just the content. And we should be concerned about the content, as we've already said. But I'm also what I think a lot of us don't get and what we don't pay attention to is that the technology itself, the ones and zeros, the mathematical equations that live at the root of the algorithms that deliver the content to us, the technology shapes us too, not just the content. Hmm. The technology is designed to deliver us more of what we like. So I've had some awkward conversations sometimes with people who will complain to me that their YouTube ads are are sexual in the nature or something like that. Or I've had people complain to me about how their Instagram explore tabs are sexual in nature or somehow inappropriate. And they want to know why these platforms are shoving this content in their faces. And I'm like, I got to be like, bro, it's learned what you click on and what you scroll over mm -hmm. and what you spend time engaging with. And it's going to deliver you more of that. Algorithms are not designed to deliver us from our desires. They're designed to deliver us deeper into our desires. And so that's why wow. I think like we, we need to be aware that, yeah, content is a problem, but the actual technology that's delivering us the content is meant to keep us on the platform and give us more of what we want, which in our sin is not always a good thing. And so right. that's why I, I like I love what you said about it's not just about the content, just like our conversations about sexuality need to go beyond the typical kind of purity conversation. We need to get a lot deeper than that and we need to have more more like foundational here's how the technology is shaping us beyond just the goofy videos or sensuous photos or whatever else so i hope i hope that's helpful and and i think like we should be having we're we're far enough along in our relationship with social media at this point that we shouldn't stop having conversations about objectionable content we should keep having those but we should yeah. also start moving toward a deeper level of like, are these platforms themselves shaping us and how's that happening? And I try to do a bit of that in the book as well. So I hope that's a little bit of new ground for some folks who are used to talking about the content that lives on the platforms, the media, and maybe a bit deeper into like, okay, here's the technology that lives underneath that media. And that's actually shaping us too. Yeah, man, that's hugely helpful. And your statement on the technology is designed not to deliver us from our desires, but to deliver us further into those desires is that is a strong statement. And the, I mean, the, the Bible goes to great length to show us how dangerous our unchecked desires or the fleshly desires can be. Like social media is that video or that image. That's the media that the social Internet is the Facebook algorithm, the Instagram algorithm that decides that, oh, this is what I want. This is what they want on their explore feed or on the YouTube recommended section. Like they watch these five YouTubers. So maybe they'll want these five YouTubers as well. Yeah. That's the that's the social Internet. And also, like, I think a lot of people don't realize, like Amazon book reviews are social media. Dating apps are social media. Um, yeah. Uh, Google results. If you Google, like, what's the what's the temperature of a medium rare steak? And, you know, you're grilling. You're like, I don't remember. Like, I always have to. I'm like, what, what's the temperature I'm supposed to get it to again? I forget. Same um, here. And, and like <laughs> the, the, the answers that you get 
from Google, that's social media. Those are created by people. It's content yeah. on the internet that's created by people. And the, the social internet, though, is that, that sort of foundation that lives under it. And I think we should just recognize that the technology part shapes us as much as the media that I guess like lives on top of it, if you will. Yeah. Man, you make an interesting point there about going to the internet to ask questions. And like, we know that our kids do that all the time. We know we do that all the time. Like something goes wrong with my toilet. It's making a weird noise or the drain, like the tank is constantly not filling up. Like this is the first place I go. I go to YouTube and I learn how to fix the toilet and I spend $15 instead of $115. And that such is the way of the world. I think in that moment, one of the things that's, that we see generationally and Nathan, you you've talked about this and some of the essentials content as you talk about generational factors. One of the things that we're seeing generationally among teenagers is impacted by this idea in student ministries, creating spaces for natural relationships to take place where questions can be answered because we're so used to just going and typing in or tapping in questions Student ministries who focus on interpersonal spaces where you can ask questions and wrestle with things from the simple to the complex are going to create spaces that students are craving in their lives because they want that real connection, the the kind of knee to knee. That's kind of a weird way to say it, but around the table kind of connection where they can process versus just typing in something else. Yeah, I think, in fact, a project I'm working on at Moody just launched in, in around the new year called BibleToLife.com is is built around that idea that like people are Googling for answers to their deepest faith and life questions more often, I think, than they're asking their faith leaders or their parents. And part of mm-hmm. that, I think a lot of that is because of like fear or shame. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like had, had, Google, had Google been super prevalent when I was in like, elementary school and middle school, it was just kind of becoming a thing then. Uh, but had it been super prevalent, like I would have been Googling stuff all the time about faith, about how my faith interacts with life, um, things I heard at church, but didn't understand. I would have rather than have like awkward conversations with a parent or a church leader, because like I, I would have been afraid that like, Oh, am I supposed to know this? Like, am I supposed mm. to know why God allows evil or what, yeah, what I'm absolutely. supposed to think about sex or whatever else? Like I would have, I would have, been afraid to have those conversations with a trusted faith leader or a parent or a friend, then I would have just searched on the internet. And so that's, I've, I've endeavored on a project through my work at Moody to try to give a trustworthy landing spot for people who are searching that for that kind of stuff. But I think what you, what you get at there is a really good point. Something else that kind of concerns me is, and I, I write about this a little bit in terms, I think part of the reason we do that and we part, part of the biggest appeal of social media in general whether it's searching for stuff like that or engaging with people on the traditional platforms, Instagram, Facebook, et cetera, is that we really, we desperately want to be loved, but we're so terribly afraid of being truly known. And Keller Mm. talks a bit about this in meaning of marriage in regard to like relationships and marriage and things. But I think like it's so easy to feel affection and feel love on social media, like in a very shallow way. Like, you know, yeah. it's easy to feel those virtual back scratches and high fives and things like that without the vulnerability and the fear that comes with vulnerability of true intimacy. And m- one of my biggest like long term fears in our in regard to our relationship with social media is that 
our desire for true, deep, intimate relationships that are good, but the fear of the vulnerability that also comes with that is sort of supplanted by us settling for the shallow nature of screen-mediated social media relationships because they come with such less risk of vulnerability and fear. Um, And so I think social media can be really great for maintaining friendships, especially across a long distance or whatever else. But, but they do, there is a temptation, I think both among students and in their parents and the older folks, there is the temptation to only have, or primarily have social media mediated relationships because there's just so little risk involved. You know, it's easy to among your followers feel affection and never feel like you're going to have to open up about the hardest and deepest, darkest parts about yourself. But if you're in an embodied relationship with a local church community, a small group for long enough, that stuff will probably bubble up. It'll be hard for it not to. And and a lot of folks are, are afraid of that, I think. And just because there's become this alternative where you can feel the goods of a relationship, albeit in a more shallow way, you can feel the goods without the without the fear of the of the hard and the mess. Um, I, my fear is that we start to just trade that constantly, and that we lose our our taste for the the true intimacy that comes with embodied relationships. So I would just encourage youth pastors, student ministry leaders, to be on guard for that. Not only among yourself, though I think that is the case, but also among your students. Um, I don't think it's wrong for students to ever use phones or use social media. I think I've said that already, but I think like do what you can to kind of force them together. Like you said, those, like those sitting around a table and those questions, like the student ministry I lead, we've always made a point to once or twice a semester, have like a huge Q and a night anonymous where people can submit any question they have about faith and, and life and how faith interacts with their lives as teenagers. And we answer all of them on a Wednesday night. We have a panel of student ministry leaders and leaders in the church where we just address every question they have. And it's they're anonymously given because we don't want any student again. We want them to send their Google questions to us for that night and and not feel like they're going to be judged or anything like that. And we make sure to do that once or twice a semester. And I think doing things like that in a setting like that or just even in small group can be really valuable. Um, And so I think I really like your piece of advice there. I think that's good. Well, his book is called Terms of Service, The Real Cost of Social Media. Chris, thanks for joining, taking the time to pour into us and student pastor audience today. And at Chris Martin 17, uh, one seven, not 17 spelled out, but it's the one and the seven. So connect with him there. Uh, He engages. And so if you have additional questions or things about it, make sure and and tag him and he, he will respond as he can. But go get the book. Use it as parent stuff. Educate yourself. Chris, thanks for being here, man. Thanks, guys. Thanks. It was fun to hang out again. And uh, and thanks for having me on. All right. Hey, producer Nathan and I will be just we'll be back in just a minute after this quick word. Hey, I want to take just a minute to tell you about some friends of ours. Students Standing Strong is an organization that provides you, the student ministry, with biblically relevant and life-changing weekly studies for your students to lead at school. So this is something that is a campus group building ministry. They help you help your students start Bible studies on their on their school campus. So S3 Students Standing Strong, S3 Campus Clubs provide Christian students a place to encourage one another, study God's word and share their faith and church with classmates. 
Check out myS3.org and train up a generation of students to learn, live, and lead biblical truth. Students standing strong is a bridge from the schoolhouse to the church house. Hey, we are back to give just a brief wrap up to an incredible episode with Chris Martin. Um, producer Nathan, what are you walking away with today? Man, so much. My, my brain is like just spinning. I know it. Well, one thing real quick, I think that people do fail to sometimes realize his talk about this is a real quick side note, that Google search thing that really is true. Like it is also a form of social media that is trying to push you maybe in a direction. For example, we all know, like we usually get a search on Google, you get the first three or four links that are all ads because they say ads. But then even after that, like it's still trying to, you know, I think sometimes push you in a direction. For example, I'm looking for a row machine right now. And man, Googling that is basically just tons of articles that are like, the best ones and they're just all advertisements for people to buy their versions and it's so frustrating to get a real review anyway side note uh, <laughs> but that, that's fascinating but man i to me one thing i'm walking away just at I think that is something that people aren't really talking about is what he talked about, the algorithms, the difference between social media and the technology and that the technology really is pushing you deeper into what it thinks you desire and what you click on. Like that's a huge thing right, right now uh, that people are talking about like with the with TikTok because of the way the algorithm works on TikTok. I know that's some conversations I've had with some other people. Uh, that's some of the fear as to why even we've seen the government be somewhat slightly afraid of TikTok. And while there was some conversations a while back, not anything political about it, but the ramifications of how those algorithms and things work. I think too, sometimes we just need to take time to, to do the research, like what Chris is talking about in the sense of like reading his book, being aware, being informed, because for example, if you watch The Social Dilemma on Netflix, the guys who created a lot of these are interviewed on it, and they had no idea where this was going. And my fear is that we'll wake up in another five years, and it's not – I don't think there's somebody behind the – you know, pushing all the buttons, making sure we wind up here. I just think it's something that has its own kind of life, and it will morph as a lot of like culture things do. And we're just – if we're not very careful, we're going to wind up in a very interesting place. And so what can we do? Yeah, like I typically say, like it's not going away. It's not the latest fad or anything like that. Like it's here to stay. Well, just like everything else that has come along through culture through past two thousand some years since Christ, as disciple makers, we've had to show and share with other disciples. How does this line up with what the Bible says and what God is is teaching us? And so I think it's important that we constantly disciple students in that and adding this piece of the social media, what it's trying to do, all those things that he talked about. Those chapter titles were fascinating to me. Yeah. No, man, I, for me, it's that, it's, I mean, you said it too. It's the technology isn't designed to deliver us from our desires, but to deliver us further into them. Uh, that's a big statement. And when we just help students understand that, I think we're, we're taking some big steps. I think the relationship part that he was talking about at the end is very, very key. Uh, we, the way that we combat this situation is with God's truth. It's with putting teenagers in opportunities to experience relationships that are centered around God's word. Like those are the things that we do to help them see and use their social media as a gospel influence or as something to add to their life rather than something to that is detracting from it. Mm -hmm. Understanding one's identity in Christ allows us to push back against the, we believe attention assigns a value and we pursue affirmation instead of truth. So helping them understand their identity in Christ pushes a, against that. I desire affirmation instead of truth directly. 
helping our students develop an appetite for truth once again in any setting is always beneficial, right? All right. This has been an episode of the Student Ministry Podcast by Lifeway. Make sure you pick up Chris Martin's book, Terms of Service, The Real Cost of Social Media. I promise you there is some good stuff for you in there as you partner with parents additionally to pastor and disciple their kids. All right. We'll see you next week. 